So I invite you to open your Bibles. If you have them, paper Bible, way to go, Becca. Um, uh, Numbers chapter 10. We're going to look at the second half of this chapter, verses 11 through 36. If you have the Version Bible app, all of the scripture and notes should be there for you. If you click on events and find Reservoir Church, otherwise it'll be on the screen, in your lap, or you can just listen uh, to the word. So let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Okay, this is good that the kids are not reading this today. There are a number of interesting names, so I'll do my best. <laughs> okay, Numbers 10, 11 through 36. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran, they set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies, and over their company was Nashon, the son of Abinadab, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Issachar was Nathanel, the son of Zoar, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. And when the tabernacle was taken down, the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who carried the tabernacle, set out. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out by their companies, and over their company was Eliezer, the son of Sheduar. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Zerashadai. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. Then the Kothasites set out, carrying the holy things, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. And the standard of the camp of the people of Ephraim set out by their companies, and over their company was Elishama, the son of Amuhad. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Manasseh was Gamaliel, son of Pedasher. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Benjamin was Abidam, the son of Gidoniah. Then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps, set out by their companies, and over their company was Ahazir, the son of Amishadai. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Ogrim. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. This was the order of march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Please, do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from camp. And whenever the ark was set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested... He said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a faithful God. 
that you always um, care for your people. And Lord, thank you that that you are so um, organized. Also, that you have a plan that's very detailed, that you sent the tribes out in order, and um, that there wasn't confusion. Lord, we are grateful that we know you have things in a perfect plan, that you order things according to your will, and Lord, that you um, that you long for us to be obedient to you. So thank you, God, for showing us um, who you are. Thank you for the way that you led Israel through the wilderness, through the desert, to the promised land. Um, help us, Lord, to to see the promises that you have given to us, to be traveling towards those things, um, to be looking to you always to lead us. Um, we give you just great thanks for being a God who cares so much for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's hear for Pam and all those names. I'm not going to say a single one of those names, so don't worry about that uh, this morning. But it's so good to be with you guys and kids. It's great to have you with us as well. If you can, uh, I don't actually have any candy to give you, but if you can come up after the sermon and tell me what the sermon was about, like what was the big idea of the sermon, you can have a snack off the snack table. (laughs) We're very performative around here. What? <laughs> what? Ah, oh, there's snacks. You can have those snacks anyway, but uh, see what you do. Sorry, I don't have any extra. I, I didn't think ahead. But anyway, um, here's the big idea. Are you ready, kids? You got to remember this. Followers of Jesus are invited in to invite others in. So followers of Jesus, those who put their faith in Jesus, are invited to have faith in Jesus so that they will invite others to have faith in Jesus. We're, we're getting close to road trip season. Anybody have any big road trips planned um, for this year? You got some? Hopefully the, the car gets fixed in time for those road trips, right? But I don't, we don't take nearly as many road trips as we did when we were kids. Um, yeah, we're going to fly there though, boo. That doesn't count as a road trip, right? Um, but the beginning of the journey, if you've taken a road trip, especially in the 80s, and some of us grew up, right, it was, it was a whole different era. You didn't have devices. You didn't get to watch movies as you went along, you know. We, one trip, we went to Boston from Nebraska, and we, somebody loaned us one of these, like, three-inch screen VCR players that you had to hunch under a towel in the backseat to watch a movie, and it was... If it not plugged into the socket, you had about 15 minutes of watching time. So just thank the Lord for innovation and technology, all you youngsters, right? But when you would set out on that trip, there was just all kinds of excitement that that journey held, right? There's so much energy to it. There was anticipation, especially if you were a kid, there was all kinds of excitement. You would wake up early, you'd load up the car, and then you were anxious to hit the road. When can we get going? When, we can, when can we set out? And you hadn't yet experienced the long hours it would take to actually get to the destination and driving through the wild blue yonder. But you were excited because it was getting underway. And that's the energy, if you can think of that road trip energy that we have when we come to Numbers 
10, verses 11 through 36. They are starting their journey through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Everything had been made ready. They have been here before the Mount of the Lord, Mount Sinai, for almost a year. And the tabernacle's been constructed according to the Lord's plan. The camp has been organized and told how they will march, how they will set out, how they will remain when they are encamped. Worship has been prescribed. Like the Lord has told them, this is how you make offerings. This is how you worship. And then the cloud and the fire was there, was set, announcing God's presence to guide their way. And now the cloud lifted and the people began their journey. We're not yet to the are we there yet moments that are coming rather quickly, but the clouds lifted, everyone prepares and marches out. And led by the ark, the tribes go out in order, heading to the next destination on their way to the promise, to this land that God would give his people that he's communicated is to be theirs. And in the midst of all this movement, And in all the recounting of the names and the leaders of the families, we see an invitation from Moses to another. One that actually casts light on our own invitation and should stir us to pass on the invitation to others. So we're just going to look at two in our invitation and our invitation to others. And so we want to start this morning with our invitation. So I'll invite you in to come up and draw an invitation. Maybe big enough that everybody can see. Big brother. So it's got to be from? Who should it be from, Ewan? Jesus. Yeah, good. As if he's heard this sermon already. And who's it to? Us. Right? Yeah, let's do you. Y-O-U. Okay. I think he doesn't know how to spell it. Yeah, I'm sure he knows how to spell it, but sometimes I'm worried. We, let's give it a stamp. We should get a little kind of, maybe a stamp with a bird on it. Can you draw a bird? Yeah, uh, kind of. With, with right. squiggly lines over it. Yeah, so it's been canceled out. Is that what you want? Nope. Oh, that's great. So let's do a little square around it. Or no, stamps are like, well, you get it. See, it's worse when I add to it. Okay, thank you, Ewan. So did everybody see this? this is the invitation. It's from Jesus to you. Well, it's not canceled out. It hasn't gone through the postal service yet. It's on its way. Just trust it will come. Hey. Right? So we'll get there, I promise. But let's think of backstory for Israel. They are a people that had lived in slavery and had been invited into redemption, right? To be brought out of Egypt where they found themselves oppressed, to be given freedom. But more than just experiencing freedom, they were given a promise of a place of their own. And we see it highlighted in Moses' invitation to Hobab. And it says, And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. He invites him. He says, come with us and we'll do good to you for the Lord has promised to do good to Israel. Setting out for the place the Lord said, I will give to you. It is the promise that keeps them, that keeps Israel in this march. And there are going to be many hurdles along the way. And one generation is actually going to miss out on the promise because of their disobedience. But those that hope in the promise giver, that long for the land, they will actually see it. 
They'll own the promise. So it is coming. I can tell you how the story ends. Eventually, the second generation will move into the promised land. They will occupy it. They will dwell there just as God has promised. And they have God's presence with them and his provision for them as they journey. And so they have a hunger for the promise that drives them onward. It's why they march out, because they're headed somewhere. And as Moses says, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. The ark leads the way to prove the point that the Lord goes before them, has prepared a place for them. And the promise here in the wilderness of Sinai points to another promise. When the people lose sight of what they've been given, when they set aside the roadmap and they actually miss the turn in life, the truth is that God promises more. Some of our small groups looked at a promise of another prophet that would eventually come, a God with us, a king to reign forever with the promise of a permanent home that is won by him for us. So that's who we are as Christians living under this promise of a place of a dwelling land with our king. And we can take heart and be encouraged by Israel's movement because like them, we have been invited to something better and to a lasting home with Jesus. We can't ever forget that, that Jesus has come and not just to do a work and stand before everybody and then us figure out a way to him. He actually invites us. To him, And we see it in the, the ultimate of invitation in Matthew 11, right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Has anybody ever found themselves needing rest for your soul? That, that's the easiest way to be responsive. Yes, right? Because if you haven't yet, I need to talk to you and figure it out. But from freedom of slavery to sin to new identity, purpose and perspective, and they're given a vision. We are given a vision of a future that drives us onward, just like Israel in the wilderness. And we have before us this cloud of witnesses as described in Hebrews, as we talked about last week, those who had faith and they apply that same hope and Uh, The author of Hebrews gives this description of them. For the people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We are to be people that hunger for our home, for the land that he's called us to, to life forever with Jesus. Like, don't be confused for a second. Like, that's where we're headed. That is why we gather. That's why we keep moving onward, because we've been promised to spend eternity with Jesus. And we can keep going because of what he's already done to prove himself and because of what he has promised yet to do for us. But it's still a journey, isn't it? A journey where we are made part of something bigger than ourselves. And as Israel takes these first steps, what actually strikes me as I studied it this week is how many of them had to move, right? Dairy, what, two million people? 
around that sum. That's a lot of movement. That is like the whole city of San Diego getting up and moving to Temecula. How awful of a hike that would be. And clearly not the promised land. Jokes, jokes. No, to some people, Temecula is the temporary promised land, right? But all of them, all those two million, everybody that's part of a tribe, everybody that's part of the priestly order, everyone is playing a role, whether or not we have their names. And they're stitching together this tapestry that they may have not had any sense about when they're doing it. But it's something that's coming, becoming so beautiful and uh, a story that is being told that is far beyond them. We have all the names of the captains of the families, the leaders of the family, as Pam read them so well, she probably mispronounced all of them, but we, we won't know. We'll meet those guys one day, and she'll have to apologize to them, but that's all right. But each person they represent, the totality of their family, all of them are part of the story that God is telling to the world. As Israel moves through the wilderness, other nations are seeing them, and they're hearing the story of the one true God, like who is this Yahweh? And they're telling the story that we still tell today because we found its completion in Jesus. And even so... The journey will be long and difficult. And the next chapter, I mean, if you've got your Bible open, you can see it right before you. Chapter 11 is given the superscription, the people complain. It's like they just started and they complain. That chapter is what made me a Calvinist. So get ready. Next week it's coming. I might preach in tongues just to see if you can follow. No promises. Some of you are like, what? Maybe. That's what the Lord wants to do. We'll see. No, you've heard me preach Numbers 11 enough to know what I'm going to say anyway. All right. But it's clinging to the promise that gets them through when it gets difficult for those that do. And I think that's an example for us that we cling to the promise that we have in Christ when things get difficult for us. And it's exactly how Moses prayed. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. This week at small groups, Stacy and Chris were singing a song from the 1900s. It sounds so long ago when you say it like that, right? But it was the 1990s, right? Or 80s? <laughs> that used that refrain. Your kids ever say that? You were born in the 1900s? Yes, punk. Um, do you guys want to sing? No? Okay, well, yeah, right? We, we're a gracious place. We don't want to force them. We want to give them. But there is a song, Chris can sing it for you later, that uses that refrain. And Moses sang this song. As God led the people out, and one writer says he knew that God's people constantly need to be reminded of this reality, that God is their help going before and ever present with them. It's this, is the same not true for us as well? I know that it is often for me, the writer says, I constantly forget that my pilgrimage is a fight in which unless the Lord wins the victory for me, all of my best efforts are in vain. And how many things in my life would be different if I remembered the truth? I, you know, I waste way too much time on Instagram reels. Anybody else? Just me? Stay off of social media, right? But I see so many pastors preaching these messages, and all of them, I walk away from them like, you don't need Jesus for that. 
Oh, you can do. You don't need Jesus for that. You just need to, you know, work harder, do your thing. Listen, if you hear a sermon that you don't need Jesus for, it's it's crud. Kids are here. I would say something stronger. But like it is a waste of time because if you can do it without Jesus, there's no point to it. Right. Oh, I'm, get, I'm off my soapbox. Back to what this guy said. He said, if I remember this reality, I would pray more to be more constant in invoking God's aid in my struggles. I would awaken every morning crying, rise up, O Lord, protect me against my enemies and against temptation. Walk with me throughout this day. I would go to sleep at night asking the Lord to remain with me, thanking him for his sustaining presence and power throughout that day, moment by moment, in between rising and resting, my thoughts would return repeatedly to the Lord to invoke his presence and his power with me. That's what this invitation gives us the ability to do. Like, Lord, go before me today. Lord, return to me. Let me experience your presence. And we have the spirit to remind us of who we are, whose we are, and where we are headed with him. We have to remember that our journey with Jesus Though, given all this promise of victory out before us and presence with us will necessarily involve discomfort and suffering. It's a journey whose sacrifices only make sense in light of the outcome. It only makes sense for Israel to struggle through the wilderness because they're going to the promised land. And the troubles that we experience, the suffering that we experience, the opposition that we experience in this life only makes sense because of the promise we're going to receive in Christ with him. And the longer we walk, the more we trust that the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And just like Paul, the apostle, we learn to find perseverance. He says in Philippians 4, one of the most missed. Use scriptures ever. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and needs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like we think that tagline, you just put that on the coffee mug, right? Or you just need to put that sign next to the 5K so all the fat people can finish it. Speaking for myself, right? But I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me applies to like, I can get out of bed in the morning. I can face my anxieties. I can go to a workplace that it is difficult to be because it's a worldview that's completely opposite of what Christ has called me to be. I can live in relationships that are unique and different and vastly set apart from the way of the world because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in the wilderness wandering because he's with me. Walking with family keeps us. That's why the church is vitally important through the wilderness of this life. We get to cry out to the Lord on each other's behalf, remind one another what we actually have in Christ, and we model for each other what it is to trust him along the way. So tell you what, if you don't know how to trust God in the situation you are experiencing now, there is likely someone else, even in our small church of 80 people, if everybody showed up, that, that they've been through that. They've had to learn to trust the Lord in that situation. They can encourage you in that. And they become voices that sing to us just like Moses. 
Paul would say to the Corinthian church, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And in the thick of that weight, in the thick of that difficulty, he gives us rest. So what what is ahead of us is worth it in this moment. Jesus is worth it in this journey. So have you responded to the invitation to rest? to salvation, to journey with Jesus through life. And if you haven't, do it now. I just encourage you. Like, I surrender uh, my ways. I give up my roadmap. I want yours. I want to follow you, Jesus. The one who won freedom from sin for me gives me righteousness through his finished work on the cross. We would know his peace and rest and then live. If you've accepted that invitation... You know what we get to do now? Invite others to it. I need a second invitation. You in? Now this one, let's make it a lot bigger. Now this one. Okay, this is from Jesus through you. Through, yeah, oh, that's good enough. And then two, right down here. Do the two here in the middle. Others. Okay, let's make this stamp. Not an angel or do an angel? Angel. Angel. Can you make an angel? It's an angel stamp. Let's see if the postal service will ever go for that. The angel looks just like your bird. Yeah, dude. It's perfect. Not an angel. You got to give it like 600 eyes. And, uh, make it like a biblical angelical creature. Oh, it's a very happy angel. You know, angels, every time they appear, what they say first? Do not be afraid. Because otherwise you would be afraid because they are powerful people. Oh, we did. He, yep. Angel, everybody knows angels have halos. Ask your parents and you can't get <laughs> I'm raising her. It's my own fault, right? So the invitation we give, and this is the invitation of Moses to Hobab, right? This is Moses' brother-in-law. I think Ruel is another name for Jethro. We don't quite know for sure. But he's inviting him onto the journey with Israel. And we see it in verses 29 through 32. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give to you. Come with us and we will do good to you for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, this is Moses again, please do not leave us for you know where we should camp in the wilderness and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. 
It's fascinating here that Moses invites Hobab both to the experience of the promise and the care of the Lord and along on the journey because he would be useful to Israel in this moment. And Hobab's been around for a while. He's likely been with the whole camp as they've been before Sinai. And so he knew the score. He knew what was going on, what it meant to live before this Lord. He'd seen the warnings of like, don't come near this temple if you're a foreigner because you're going to be struck down. God is holy, right? But Moses in this moment invites Hobab into the joining the spiritual descendants of Abraham who left his home and his people by faith, seeking a city with foundations that God had promised him. That's what he's inviting Hobab to do in the same way. He says, come with us and we will do good to you for the Lord has promised good to us. The truth is, just like Moses, we have the authority to invite others into the promise. And it actually has been the point of the church all along, right? Jesus, as he's having his last moments with the disciples in Luke's gospel, in Luke 24, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That's the mission of the church, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. To all nations, all ethnic, all people, no matter where they come from, no matter their political perspective, no matter their economic circumstance, all people are to hear the truth of forgiveness in the name of Christ. Paul will go on in 2 Corinthians. We know this section well. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, from Jesus through you to others, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is our mission. This is who we are. That we would go about life making disciples. And this just is not for the grown-ups in the church. This is for all of us. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you now get to invite others, no matter how old or how experienced or how broken down or how set up they are, you get to invite them because they are captives that need to be freed. We get to live proclaiming forgiveness in his name. And the truth is, friends, in, in my lifetime, I don't think the harvest has ever been this ripe. There was, I was looking at some new research from Barna, a Christian uh, research organization, and they did a, a wide-reaching like just poll of people to get a sense of the spiritual inclinations of humanity in America at this moment. 
And they said pollsters found that all generation in, generations, including young Americans, want to grow spiritually, with 77% of Gen X and millennials, let's hear Gen X, expressing what Barna Group CEO David Kinnaman describes as spiritual hunger. Among Gen Z, 73% expressed such a desire, while 70% of baby boomers said the same. What's up, baby boomers? Slacking. At 80%, a sizable majority said they believe there is a spiritual or supernatural dimension to the world, with half expressing certainty in the existence of the supernatural, and 30% saying, I think it exists, but I'm not certain. 83% of both Gen Z and millennials said they believe in a supernatural spiritual dimension, followed by 82% of Gen X and 79% of baby boomers. So from that existence of hunger, you guys, we have what satisfies. We have Jesus and we could speak into the, well, I know supernatural stuff exists. Somebody help me understand it. And here is Jesus. This is what we invite them to. And the way is far better. I don't have time to quote another study I looked at this week. There is statistical significance in mental health markers among those that are part of a regular church, that attend a church week in and week out. Your anxiety is lower. The other, I need Julie to interpret this data because I don't understand mental health stuff as much. But it's better when you're a Christian, right? It's still not super easy. We still struggle with mental health ourselves, but it's a a witness that we get to be that cares for the least where other places they reject the least we become advocates for safety for all those around us because we have been provided safety in christ and it gives voice to those who don't have a voice culturally right we just studied luke's gospel and we saw the parable of the great banquet right jesus is teaching these people and he said also to the man who had invited him to his own little dinner party right with all the elites and the exclusive people and jesus says when you give a dinner or a banquet do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return for you to be repaid but when you give a feast invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just and he, he goes on and we're going to talk about it more but i'm just struck by the reality that this is jesus has invited us to a banquet we have zero capability this is how we think right we're like well, Jesus invited me in and now I'm going to repay him for the invitation. You don't have what it takes. Some of y'all are rich. You don't have enough money. Some of y'all are smart. You are not smart enough. You cannot repay him. You are the least. And he still invites you to his meal. And some will refuse the, the invitation, right? He tells the parable of the banquet. The master has sent out his workers to say the banquet is ready. They, they received the invitation in the mail and now they had, uh, had someone at their door and said, come on to the party, right? But they all had other things to do. So, the, and this is what Luke tells us. So the servant came and reported these things to the master and then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you can have commanded has been done and there is still Room And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. This is, okay, 
This is an aside. This is a sermonette. Some people say, why are you a church that focuses on doing ministry to those with disabilities? Because this is the model Jesus gave us. Well, we're too busy. You know, I talk to a lot of pastors that are like, well, we just want to care for the people that are in the church now. It's like Jesus right here has told us there's room. Because when you invite in those that are disabled, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and he says, what is to be done? There's still room. So we're going to emphasize a ministry to those who are unseen in our community, whether it be families with kids with disabilities, adults with disabilities, those that have been freed from sex trafficking, those who have minority voice in our culture. This is a place for them because that's the banquet Jesus designed. There's always room. Come on, white people. There's room for you. Right? Okay, back to this sermon. Because hope keeps us, we invite others. (laughs) That was a look of what? Okay. Our experience of salvation and his promise already to us keeps us and makes us people who go around saying the banquet's ready. Come on. This is, uh, you know, Stacy and Chris are from the 1900s. This is Charles Simeon from the 1800s. And it's old English, so get ready. Think then ye who have tasted anything of redeeming love, is it possible that ye may be useful in promoting the designs and in advancing the glory of your Lord and Savior? And will ye not do it? Shall any earthly interests or attachments prevail with you to put your light under a bushel when by suffering it to shine forth you might aid others in their way to heaven? Oh, requite not thus your heavenly benefactor, but join yourselves to his people without delay and live henceforth all together for him who lived and died for you. He gave all of his life for you so you can give all of your life for him. And not only is Hobab invited in to be a partaker in the promise, he, when he's resistant, you notice he said, I'm going to go back to my people. Moses reminds him of his value. He knows where to camp. Come with us. You can show us where to go. You can be our eyes. And friends, this is not a rejection of God's guidance because God in the cloud and the fire is directing the camp. But instead, it's a recognition of how God's will is compatible with human agency. And just as every soul had a role in the march of Israel on that day, everyone we invite has value in the kingdom. They bring worth as image bearers invited to purpose with Jesus. And as agents of reconciliation, just like Moses, we see their worth, everyone, and we invite them in. We see them. My vision for this church is that we are a church for the unseen in our city. And it means something to go to them and say, we see you. We are equipped for it. This call for all of us. And it's not just for the gifted, right? Oh, well, Brother Bill's more evangelistically gifted. No, he's just not scared. He doesn't have that part of his brain. Right? So he just shares the gospel. No, it's for all of us. We're all called to share the truth. Peter will write to the church, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of your hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. All of us ready 
Ask me about my hope. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. This week, I had occasion to talk to a Jehovah's Witness. It's coming up on Easter. They're going to be in your neighborhood and invite you to hear somebody else talk at the Kingdom Hall. Right? And I think in the very least, I kept him for 30 minutes from talking to any of my neighbors. And I have to... It's not confession, because I was honest. Um, and, but maybe not really direct about what I do, because he asked. He said he worked in retail, and he didn't tell me where he worked in retail. So I told him, well, I'm an emotional support human. Right? <laughs> And I added something, and I coach entrepreneurs, right? I coach church planners. So I coach entrepreneurs that are doing, you know, emotional support, human stuff, right? And he said, are you familiar with the Bible? I'm like, oh, I have a little experience with it, you know? Some of, I said, well, that's, I grew up in the Midwest, and we were all Christians. That's what I said, and that seemed to allay his fears. But I, he, he kept talking about this positive message. So I kept asking questions, and I kept pressing him and pressing him. I mean, it was like a 30-minute conversation. And I was like, just tell me what the hope you're saying you have is. Just give that hope to me, right? Like we, they don't believe in hell, evidently, because he said that's just the trash heap, and a, a word misused that people have been using to scare people all over. And I'm like, oh, brother, you better come back, because I've got a message for you, right? But he's like, well, maybe I'll come back next time, and I'll tell you about it. I'm like, what a letdown. I'm hungry. I was pretending to be hungry. (laughs) I mean, but if we get asked, like, what is the hope that you have? Oh, my goodness, friends. If you say nothing more than Jesus, you don't have to be articulate. The the, the word promises that the Spirit will give us the words to say. And you just ask the Lord in that moment, Holy Spirit, help me to speak the truth of who my hope is and what hope looks like in this day and age. He'll give you those words. And if it's nothing more than I have found peace in Jesus. I can't fully explain it, but there is peace that is beyond my understanding. And all I know is that I get to invite you into it too. So pray for that man, because next time I'm telling him I'm a pastor. But more than telling him I'm a pastor, I'm going to tell him I'm a person who was wrecked, who put my hope in all kinds of things. Success, my own identity or skewed views of it, my own experience, what people had done to me as if I needed to wear that as my identity. And instead of all that, I found identity, hope, freedom, and life in Jesus. And now you get to pay me to tell other people about it every day. And I won the lottery. Right? So one pastor says, when someone asks us why we are followers of Jesus, what is our response? The answer is certainly not because since the time we became Christians, our lives have begun to work out more successfully. I cannot say that God always gives me everything I want or think I need, nor does he always make my life run smoothly and easily. What I can say, though, is this. God has promised me eternal life in his presence, a place where I shall stand before him forever and do what I was created to do, which is to worship him. God has promised us that in view of the glory set before us, this is the very best life we can experience in this world. Eternal life will make worthwhile whatever losses we have to suffer in the present. What is more, the Lord has promised his presence with us in the midst of all the present difficulty of life. Amen. Praise God for Jesus. And oh, that we would be a people so enamored with Christ that we can't help but share him with others. 
He is the founder of our faith and its goal. He is the one who gained our salvation on the cross with his cry of, it is finished. A salvation that is made ours by the Spirit. He is the one who promises to go with us, to never leave us or forsake us, to go before us, ordering our steps. He is the one who fights our battles and he has already won the victory. He is the one we are to show our neighbors and friends and to say to them, here is the rest for your soul. Come with me me and meet this glorious Savior. Come and share the good things he has promised to all those who belong to him. He himself is the joy that is set before us, the joy into which we will finally enter in fullness and completeness when our wandering days are done. Whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same he will do to you. Followers of Jesus are invited in to invite others in. Friends, live from your invitation. I know I get excited. Yeah. And not, it's not for applause, but it's because I've been invited in. I, I, I feast with Christ. Live from your invitation. Accept it. Repent and believe. If that's you this morning, I, I, I want to talk to you more about what it means to repent of sin and believe in Jesus. But if you've accepted your invitation, live settled, secure, forgiven, and free in Jesus. And ask the Spirit to give you an increasing hunger for Jesus in your life. This week, so today's Delaney's birthday. She's 17. Give her a Pentecostal handshake. But this week, Dershin celebrated 72 years of life. Golf clapping, (laughs) but I was so encouraged as Dershin was sharing like the good things are going on in life. He's just reflecting on the reality that retirement for him has been a tremendous gift because he has been able to invest more time in pursuing the Lord, in studying Scripture, meeting with Bill, having conversations with others about Jesus, and that so encouraged me because you don't have to retire to get that. You can pursue Jesus now and he's modeling for us what it looks like to savor Christ and want to share that flavor with others. So live from your invitation and live to invite others. Say their name to Jesus and say his name to them. See people, pray with them, love them because you have been loved. Man, I pray that we have opportunities. Our our youth prayed this last week, that we would have opportunities to share Jesus with those around us because we have answered the invitation he gave to us. For some of you, the journey is just beginning. Think of the difference between 17 and 72, right? The excitement, maybe you're new to Christ, the excitement is yours in this moment. And some of us have been on the road for a long time time. And no matter where we are, may the Spirit ignite our enthusiasm afresh in Christ and give us a vision for home that we would invite others to go with us. Whenever the ark set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. When the ark sat down, he would say, return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Return, O Lord, to your people. Will you pray with me?
Oh Lord, what a gift you are to us that we can, as we walk through this life, call on you to arise and go before us. Jesus, you have gone before us and you welcome us in. You have provided the way for us to the Father. Help us not to just presume upon that truth, but to live from that invitation that we would invite others in. Lord, we recognize there is a a spiritual hunger in our day that's beginning with revivals at different campuses and different places. There is... Um, much that we get to witness in the coming days. And we want to be people that remind everyone around us of the hope that we have in its you. Would you equip us to see those around us the way you see them? Give us your heart for our neighbors. Give us your heart for our enemies, that we would be a people of hope, inviting others to your banquet for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.